Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Maybe you're listening to this and there's some steps of faith that you've yet to take. I want you to understand that if you never take a step of faith, you'll never grow in faith. The you, you, only way you grow in faith is you got to step out on it and let the Lord show his hand. Let the Lord show his hand of faithfulness. That's how we grow in faith. And so if you walk in perpetual fear, you may never see God do something significant. You may never see God do the impossible. If you live within the realm of what you can manage and control. In your walk with Jesus, have you ever been afraid to step out in faith? Have you ever known what God is calling you to do, and yet you ignore it completely? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to experience closeness with God like never before, you need to make the leap whenever He calls you to it. No matter how irrational it may seem, or even if you think you have a better idea for a plan, it will always pale in comparison to what God has in store. Trust in Him always. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther, chapter 8, as he begins his message, Divine Rehearsals. Uh, We are continuing our study through the book of Esther. And uh, so if you guys have your Bibles tonight, if you guys would open up to Esther, chapter 8. When you get it, say, got it. All right. We'll be in Esther, chapter 8. I've told you guys that I feel like Mordecai is the unsung hero of the book. And so uh, I've gone through Esther and taken... Um, all these highlights and excerpts from Mordecai's life uh, titled The Message Divine Reversals. For you guys that have been following through the book, you know, Esther, um, she took her life into her hands, if you remember, and went before the king unannounced. And, and through that brave act of faith and obedience, because he was being obedient to Mordecai, Uh, The Lord has intervened. Haman, the last thing that we read was that Haman was hung on the gallows that he intended to hang Mordecai from. He reaped what he sowed. He sowed bad. He had bad intentions. And ultimately, he reaped from what he had sown. And so we're going to see divine reversal in the sense that, you know, just a few chapters ago, uh, Esther was in fear. Mordecai was very upset. He was outside the gate you know, mourning in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, All the Jews were mourning and crying in in the citadel, you know, just, you know, a little bit before the interruption, but a little bit before this intervention, everybody was wailing and mourning and crying, but it all turns around here. God is able to radically transform our situations that God is able to reach into our lives, our circumstances, and that which seems to be going so terribly today that God is able to so wonderfully turn those things all the way around. Um, he's able to re- reverse things that they look terrible here and he's able to turn it around. There's some divine reversals that God brings about. So when a team makes it to the playoffs, um, usually there's a few rounds of the playoffs. And as you get to the end of a playoff round, if you win, you go on to the next challenge. If you lose, you got to pray about next year, you know, and, and see about coming back and doing it again. Uh, but if you win, it's not over, right? The, the When you win, it's not over. It's just now you you got a whole nother challenge, a whole nother team, a whole nother uh, a set of opponents to get ready for. And I want to just remind us in the spiritual battle that that's how it is sometimes. If you get defeated, 
You got to go start over again somewhere. You, you got to just pick it up. But when you are victorious, when you win, that's not it. Because oftentimes when we were victorious, God's like, all right, now, now there'll be another battle. Um, Esther was victorious. She got over whatever fear it was of her to get up and go before the king the first time. She overcame it. Um, it took her two banquets, but we even saw that God's hand of providence was as his hand was on that, you know, giving her the two times to go. But, you know, she overcame the fear and she went and she took her life in her own hands and God used it. Um, but it's not done yet. You'd like to think it's all over. She went before the king. He said, oh, no, Haman's dead. All the problems are gone. But it's not because Haman got the king to sign a decree and that decree is still in place. So it's not all done yet. And so I just want to remind us that the victory doesn't mean we're done. It usually means, you know, we we won. We had a victory, but now there are going to be new challenges, new enemies, bigger battles that are going to be coming on the horizon. With all that, look at chapter eight, verse one. And it says on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman the enemy of the Jews. And I just want to pause there. It says on that day. So on the same day he's hanged, the king brings in Esther and he says, look, I'm giving you his house. Now, you guys remember, was Haman rich or poor? He was rich. He was balling. He was trying to buy the king. He was the one that told the king, you let me wipe out this people and I'm going to put all this, this money into the, you know, I'll put all this money into the treasury. So he was even trying to schmooze on the king. This is a wealthy man. Well, now he's gone. And, and here's the thing. When you die, do you get to take your wealth with you? No, it's left behind. There is a verse in Proverbs 13, 22. It says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Think about that. Think about all the wicked people that are rich. And God says the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. This would be one such cause, right? Haman is gone and all of his wealth, his probably his wonderful home and estate is all now handed over to Esther. It's in her care now. She's going to be able to decide who lives there and what goes on in this place. It's handed over to her. That's the first thing that happens. Um, now, keep going. It, it, it named Haman the enemy of the Jews, by the way. And it says, and Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told how he was related to her. So now finally, Esther tells the king how that Mordecai, how they're what their relation is. Now, if the king likes Esther, How's he going to feel about Mordecai who cared for her and took care of her and protected her and counseled her? How's he going to feel about Mordecai? What do you guys think? Oh, Mordecai is in there. Mordecai saved his life and he's responsible for covering this beautiful queen that you have that has favor in your eyes. And so I just it just seems like everything's happening in the right time. Like maybe it wasn't time for the king to know who Mordecai was before, but now it's time. Now the king knows who Mordecai is, not just who he is in terms of saving his life, uh, but now he knows who he is in terms of his relationship with Esther. And so look what the king does in verse two says, so the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman. So before he, I guess they hanged Haman, he took the signet ring back. So uh, that ring, that speaks of authority, your ability to, to, to act on behalf of the king. And so the signet ring was taken back and he gave it 
to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So, you know, which is, which is what you would think, right? Esther, she's living in the palace. She don't need that crib. She already got her situation. It's pretty plush already. But she said, Mordecai, that's, that's your new place. That's for you. This is a divine reversal. Just again, just a few chapters back. Uh, Mordecai is pacing back and forth before the palace. You know, they're upset with the news of of the killing of the Jews. Esther is in there fasting with her maidens and hopes that, you know, she's going to find favor with the king. But now everything is turned around. It looks like everything has been made right in this moment. Um, and so the, you know, more Haman has been dealt with. Mordecai is in favor with the king. Haman's wealth has been handed over to Esther, who hands it over to Mordecai. Mordecai now has the king's signet ring. We're going to see by the end of the chapter, he's going to be pretty much positioned like the prime minister uh, to the king. And so he'll be in the position that Haman so coveted, was so glad about. Now that position is going to be given over to Mordecai, the Jew. Look at verse three now. It says, now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he devised against the Jews. And I want to slow down. If you read that real fast, you miss something, right? She goes before the king again unannounced. He's going to have to hold out the golden scepter again. But as you read it this time, do you guys, does it feel like it's not as big a deal this time, doesn't it? It kind of feels like like it felt like a big deal last, last time she had to pray and fast for three days and all her maidens had told Mordecai to tell all the Jews in the citadel to pray and fast. This time she just went in. What is that? I'm going to tell you what that is. This is what happens when we take steps of faith. She, it was a big step of faith last time to do this. But by this go round, I believe that Esther's trust in the Lord has grown. Her faith in God's faithfulness has grown. And so this time it just seems that she just went for it. She just said, you know what? I, I believe that she's trusting God in a different way. And so maybe you're listening to this and there's some steps of faith that you've yet to take. I want you to understand that if you never take a step of faith, you'll never grow in faith. You, you only way you grow in faith is you got to step out on it and let the Lord show his hand. Let the Lord show his hand of faithfulness. That's how we grow in faith. And so if you walk in perpetual fear, you may never see God do something significant. You may never see God do the impossible if you live within the realm of what you can manage and control. And so I was thinking of other instances in scriptures where I saw God grow people in their faith. And they went from one thing to the next thing and it got bigger and bigger. I'm reminded of King David. If you guys remember, um, when we think of David, what is the big battle we remember with David? Goliath, right? David was unlike, he was the most unlikely candidate to go fight Goliath. Goliath was, I don't know a better word for this. Goliath was punking the whole Israel, the whole army of Israel. He was coming out every day saying, who wants some? Who wants some? Give me your champion. Send someone out to fight me. It says he came out every day and taunted them with this. David's older brothers were in the, the army. They were down at the battle getting punked with everybody else. David's at home and his dad sends him with food and says, go see how your brothers are doing at the battle. And David goes down. He's a young guy. 
and he has the most insignificant job. In that culture, one of the most insignificant jobs you could have was to be a shepherd, be the person that had to watch the sheep. Interesting how many people God chose to serve him that were faithful sheep watchers. They were faithful with the little thing. They were, they were faithful with that, that undesirable position of watching sheep. Um, that's what David was doing. But David had a relationship with the Lord. He was a worshiper. And I, he, we have the Psalms to prove it. And David had some experiences where the Lord showed up on his behalf. So when David got down to the battle and he saw that the enemies of God were speaking against the army of Israel, David was like, what is this? Like he couldn't believe that they were allowing this. He was appalled. And he said, I'll fight him. I'll let me go fight him. And even then, there was so much discouragement. His brothers, oh, get out of here, David. You're just prideful. You know, when he went before King Saul, who should have been the one to go out because he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, but he was a big old, you know, chump himself. And, you know, he went before King Saul. King Saul looked at him and said, oh, man, you're cute, you know, but this guy's been a warrior your, your lifetime. And David said this to King Saul, who was discouraging him. He said, when I was watching my father's sheep, not even my own sheep, my dad's sheep, and a lion and a bear came out against me. He said, the Lord delivered them into my hands. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine to be just like one of those. David says, I'm not afraid of him because I got track record with my God that says my God shows up. And, and if, if I could defeat a lion and a bear with, now I'm going to just tell y'all, if I could, if I, if I defeat a lion with my bare hands, and then I defeat a bear with my bare hands. They're not a man on the world that I'm going to look at and be like, I'm scared of him. <laughs> you know, it's just there won't be any man to fear at that point. That's David's situation with the Lord. The Lord built him up to that. Think about Abraham, right? We know that God tested Abraham in Genesis 22. God told Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him. And it says it was a test. But if you read the first part of Genesis 22, verse one, it says, now it came to pass a very important phrase after these things that God tested Abraham and told him to go take your only son, Isaac, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. After what things, right? After the miracle of giving him a son through a wife, as he was too old to make a baby, his wife was barren her whole life. Now she was too old. You know, if she hadn't have been barren, she was too old. And God in keeping his promise to Abraham supernaturally strengthened him in his body, woke up her dead womb and gave them this child. It was after that thing that God now says, now the kid that I gave you from nothing to begin with, miraculously given back to me. I've already made a promise on his life that through him, the nations are going to be blessed. So we know he's got to have kids one day. And Abraham said, cool. He, he, he didn't stutter. At that test, he went, he packed up and went straight up to the mountain to do what God told him to do. Right. But I want you to note that after these things, he was built up in his faith. And I think some people are stagnant in their ability to, to be used by the Lord because they haven't taken the last step of faith. God said, take right by now. Had you took the last step? God said, take, you'd know that God was faithful. You'd know that he would show up. You'd know him better and maybe you're here and you took the last step and now there's a new step to take. And God is saying, look, remember, remember, I'm, I, I always come through. I'm faithful. My track record is good. You have no reason not to trust me for the new thing because I've been faithful with all the things in the past. And so I just want to remind you here as we look at Esther, she just kind of moseys in and it looks like it's nothing to her this time. 
I'm saying this is a woman that's growing in her faith and her relationship with the Lord. She grew into this. And so now it looks easy um, when it looked much more difficult before. And there'll be new tests and new challenges for her, just like for you and me. So again, verse three, now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet and implored him with tears that's that, that for you ladies. That's what y'all. That, that's one of y'all gifts, right? They she implored him with tears. I'm gonna show y'all right now. Esther turns on the woman stuff. I'm just she just she does. I'm gonna point it out to you guys just a minute. But she with her tears she to to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Verse four, and the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king. So verse five and said, if this is this listen to Esther's speech to the king. If it pleases the king, does it please you, king, to do this for me? If I have found favor in your eyes or in your sight, if this thing seems right to the king, and I want you to note this last thing she threw in. If I'm pleasing in your eyes, that what does that have to do with anything, right? What is that? That's that's woman power. That's wife power. That's not white power. Wife power. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I know we have some racial tension these days. So <laughs> not white power, wife power. Right. So, <laughs> man, I will get in trouble tonight. OK, but this is this is this is Esther. Uh, just say, look, if, if I'm pleasing your eyes like this is these are all her her prerequisites. Um, then she's asking that the king would reverse this thing that Haman had got set out over the Jews. Now, I just want to point out what she does here. Um, obviously, God put her in relation to the king. God is the one that's given her favor in his sight. Um, but she does humble herself and she look, is it pleases the king if I found favor in your sight, if it seems right to the king, and if you like me, if I'm pleasing, am I pretty? You like what you see? If I'm pleasing in your eyes, then I'd like you to do these things for me. And so this is what she asks. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or, or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And so while one battle seems to be won, Haman is gone. Uh, Haman did some damage before he died and it's still it's lingering. Um, he got a decree signed that said on this date that's looming over that the Jews could be killed, annihilated, wiped out. Um, and it's, it's hung up all over the Citadel. Everybody knows that date is coming. And so um Again, as Esther, you know, steps before the, before the king, she makes this request of the king. So she's still on a mission to save her people. It's not done yet. Right. Haman's death did not bring about an end to this thing. There's still a need for a divine intervention here. Now look at verses seven and eight. It says, then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai, the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So this is an interesting thing, right? The king, once he seals something, he can't undo it. The, the, this is the law of the Persians, right? They're, when their king 
put something in action and it was signed, sealed uh, with his signet ring, it couldn't be undone. It was it was now law. And so the king said, I can't undo the last thing that I wrote, but you guys go write up another one to counteract it. Um, And so they're going to get to write up their own decree in the king's name. Mordecai has the king's signet ring. He's going to get to seal it. Um, and they get to write up something to counteract the first thing that was written. And I, I, to me, this just reminded me of the gospel so much, right? Um, we, we can't do anything about the fact that the, the wages of sin is what? And there's nothing you can do about that. The wages of sin is death. Uh, it must be satisfied. Everyone is guilty of sin. The Bible says the soul that sins shall surely die in Ezekiel 18 verse 20. And so there's no escape in the fact that, man, the wages of sin is death. Sin brings about death. You can't escape it. You can't get around it. Well, then how do we get how do we get out of this? God, we're we, we've sinned already. We we've already messed up. That sentence is already against us. And what Jesus does is he comes in and he says, look, I'm going to do something for you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with that issue for you. Uh, in essence here, as they write this new decree, they're going to have to write something that, that enables them to counteract the last thing that was written. Well, I'm saying that Jesus death on the cross counteracts the, the law, the, the law of requirements that was against us. It says in Colossians. And so while we were guilty, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus died in our place. And so God's God's justice is satisfied in that Christ died for you and for me. But then we still get to go free because we have put our faith in him. And so his righteousness is applied to our life. Our sin is applied to his life. He pays in full. We get to go free. Everything is made right through Jesus Christ. Well, as we see here, they're going to get to write a decree to try to uh, somehow get through or get by um, the decree that's already been written that says that on this date, um, they're going to be able to go out and slay and kill uh, all the Jews. And so I want you to consider this because this is what's going to be written up in this decree. They're going to write it up themselves and it's going to give them permission on that day to defend themselves and to kill those who come against them and their wives and their children. So and they're backed by the king. So I want you to consider if you were going to be part of the team to go out and kill the Jews and you and, and nothing was going to be there. They couldn't do nothing about it. Well, now that's all changed. Now, when that day comes, you're like, oh, wait, oh, they can shoot back. Oh, they got guns too. Oh, the king likes them now. Where? Oh, oh, well, maybe I just going to stay home. Maybe, maybe I don't want to be part of that now. You know, maybe I don't. It's kind of like a bully. You know, bullies love to fight people that don't want to fight. Right. Have you ever seen a bully? Bullies like they love picking people that don't really want that smoke. They really don't want to fight. The bully's nightmare is somebody that's like somebody that punches back. Find you that find the, the bully don't want nothing to do with that. And so I believe that that's what happens here. They they write they're going to write a counteract. That says they're going to be able to defend. They're going to be able to go after those that come after them and they're backed by the king. And I think it'll shut everything down. That's that's what we're going to see transpire. And so let's look now at verse nine. It says, so the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces at all, 
to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. And I want you to consider this right here, right? This this, um, this new decree that's going out to counteract the other decree, to let people know there's going to be a way for them to live, that, that someone, there's something that's been done on their behalf. Thanks for joining us here today on The Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the extraordinary book of Esther. While never mentioned throughout the entire book, we know that God was working through Esther and Mordecai to show his power and mercy to the people of Persia. Like them, many of us find ourselves influenced by the wrong example. Can you relate? Maybe you resist for a while, but then pressure and influence start to find cracks in your armor. How do you respond when you realize that sin has entered your life? In Esther, you are reminded to always trust that God is working through and around you for His glory. Turn back to Him, and you will find strength and peace. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, and we want to help you with that. If you'd like to be a part of what God is doing through this ministry, join us in prayer. Like you, we need all the prayer we can get. If you feel led, we ask that you partner with us financially. Here's what you need to do. Head over to CalvaryInglewood.org to give online or download our mobile app and give that way. Once again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll also find a link to our mobile app right there online. While you're there, check out the other resources we have to offer you, like archive messages, or you can follow along with our daily Bible reading plan. Well, it's time to say goodbye for now. We'll connect with you again next time in the book of Esther with a transforming word.